So we're in, first, we're in the book of Thessalonians, and uh, we're talking about what it means to live with Jesus, what it means to live for Jesus while we wait for his return. He's coming. How do we live with him as we're waiting for him to descend from the clouds? And we've been looking specifically last week at this idea of living with and for Jesus through faith in community, about our faith and how our faith functions in community. And so Mark Jekyll is going to read all of chapter 3. And as he does, I want you to look for two things. One is the repeated word of faith. The word faith is in there four times. Be looking for that again. And look for all, the, all of the community words, the us, the we, the you, the ours, the brothers, the one another's, because those are the two threads through this chapter. It's about community and your faith, how your faith works in community as you wait for Jesus. So be looking for that. Mark, you want to come and read for us chapter 3. First Thessalonians 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand uh, that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers... In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that we may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Amen. be to God. Amen. Thank you, Mark. I don't know if it's just me, but every time I go to the doctor, whether it's for a routine checkup or for some ailment that I have, they seem to always ask me the same questions. I could go one week, go the next week, and they still seem to ask the same questions. There must be just certain specific questions related to my physical health that are so important, I need to be asked repeatedly about it. Well, this morning, I want to repeat the question I asked you last week, because I think it's very important to your spiritual health. How is your faith? How is your faith this morning? Is it strong and vibrant? Are you enjoying your pursuit of God and living in belief in Him? Or is it waning or tired? Are you exhausted spiritually? Last week we talked about this chair, and I used a little, little illustration for our faith in Christ. And we talked about how 
when we come to Christ, we begin to adore him. We look at the chair and we say, wow, this is, this is a chair like no other chair. This chair is breathtaking. It's one of a kind. This chair has the ability to remove all of my sin and all of my shame, to rescue me, to reconcile me to the Father. And yet we realize that we're really unworthy to sit in the chair. But there's something that draws us, a love that draws us to want to sit in the chair, and we find ourselves eventually moving towards the chair and sitting in it, putting our faith in Christ as our Savior. And, and as we put our faith in Him, we realize that everything around us changes, right? Life changes, our priorities change, the things we love change. We realize we're, we're set free for sin, yet we're in a new battle against sin. We talked last week about how as we, as we enter this new season of faith, putting our faith in Christ, how we have someone who is targeting our faith. He knows our faith is in flux, right? There's days when our faith is strong and days when our faith is weak. And so we have an enemy and he targets you now. Prior to conversion, you weren't on his radar. He didn't care, well, but now he does. And so he's got you targeted. He wants to knock you off the chair. He wants to speak lies to you about who you are and who God is, about God's word, to get you off the chair. And then we often notice there's other chairs around, things that look very satisfying, things that look like they could really bring me hope and, and meet the needs that I have. And we can be tempted sometimes to get off the chair and to move towards other things to put our faith in and our hope in. And so we got this target on us. We can struggle in our faith. But then God had a solution last week, do you remember? He, he brought other people. He brings us into community. Our faith is, a, is a, a community faith. I bet anyone in this room, from the smallest person, could knock me off this chair right now. Could come up here and very easily shove me over. Get the bottom of the chair and knock me down. The illustration's not going there. <laughs> so no ideas. But what we didn't talk about last week, maybe as vividly as we could have, is that you're not alone. Right? We talked about community and how we need one another. And so when you sit in your chair of faith, we realize that we are surrounded by others who are sitting in a chair of faith. So I've got Renee and Mark sitting in a chair and Jordan sitting in a chair. I've got all kinds of people around me all the time sitting with me in the chair of faith. And when other people are sitting around me like this, it makes it a lot harder for me to get knocked off, doesn't it? I'll put two people next to me and then try to knock, it, knock me over. It'll be a lot harder. And so we saw last week about four things that we gain from that community with one another. We talked about being comforted, right? There's a comfort. I think it was in verse 6 or verse 7. There's a comfort that we receive from one another. When I see you walk through trials, when we walk through them together, the sense in which we receive comfort, our faith is strengthened that way. Right? And then verse 9, he talked about joy and thankfulness. And how joy and thankfulness are part of our faith in community. How we, how we receive and give joy. We share the things God's doing in each other's lives as a way of bolstering our faith. Right? And, then, and then the fourth one was in verse, 11, verse 10 where it talked about supplying what is lacking in your faith. That we need each other to supply the things that are lacking. And I just think there's a lot of times I don't even know what's lacking in my faith. But I know from being around all of you that there's things being supplied to my faith that I will use sooner or later. One of the real blessings of being a pastor is I often get to have a front row seat with people as they walk through their struggles and their trials. 
And as I watch you walk through those and I see you do it with joy, I see you do it with thankfulness, I find that my faith is strengthened. Have you ever been there? You're with somebody and you watch them in like the pit of hell and yet somehow they're still trusting God. They're still trusting in Christ. When I see that, man, my faith is just strengthened. And that's why we need one another. We need one another desperately. Well, in verse 11, Paul turns the corner. It's almost abrupt. And he launches into this benediction. It almost comes out of nowhere. You wonder, where is he going? And is this at all connected to what he's been saying about faith and community? Well, I think it does have to do with faith and community. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how this benediction is positioned to make your faith stronger. Because that's why it's there. It's a benediction to help you see the work of God and what God is doing, God's role in it. Because it's not just about God working through community, but the benediction is about how God does it. It's about how God works in you and in others. God's at work. So I don't just sit there in the chair going, boy, I sure hope that Mark Jekyll doesn't lose the faith. I can say, no, I know God is at work. I know God's at work in other people's lives. And that's what this benediction is supposed to do. It's supposed to give us another uh, a supply to our faith, a confidence in God and what he's doing. So we're going we're gonna to look at this benediction this morning and, and how it relates to our faith and our faith in community. Maybe to put it another way, this could be point number four if we were still here from last week, it would be that your faith is targeted by God himself. In other words, God has his eye on you, not just the enemy. So you may be hearing lies from the enemy, but simultaneously you have a God whose eyes are on your faith. He actually has a master plan for how to supply what is lacking in your faith and to work in you and to work in the community. So this is a benediction. This benediction is different than a prayer. When Paul is praying in any of the epistles, he tells us he's praying, or you know that he's praying. I mean, if you look at chapter 1, verse 2, he talks about how I mention you in our prayers. In chapter 2, verse 13, he talks about how he thanks God constantly. He's talking to God. In chapter 3, verse 10, we pray most earnestly for you. But here, this isn't a prayer. This is more of a, now may God do, and may the Lord do, and may he do this. This is a benediction. So what I want to do is take a couple minutes and talk about benedictions this morning. What is a benediction? Because we're going to come to another one at the end of 1 Thessalonians. And on some Sundays, we actually have us leave together with a benediction pronounced over us. So let's just take a little bit and talk about benedictions. I've been thinking about this for, maybe we've been talking about it for a year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about sharing with you what benedictions are about and what they're for and how they help our faith grow. So to do this, it's going to go on the screen. We have to look at number six, where we see the first benediction. This is Moses, actually God, telling Moses to tell Aaron and his sons to, to do a benediction. He gives them this benediction, this blessing, um, to pronounce over the people. And I think it's meant not just to be a form, like this is the only thing you should say when you do a benediction. I think it's meant to give us an example of a benediction and to tell us what needs to be in the heart of a benediction. In other words, what is a benediction is kind of described here in this benediction. So... Here's what it says in number six. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, is my mic really hot? I feel like I'm echoing all in my ears big time. Sorry, I'm getting a headache from me. <laughs> Somebody else want to come here and just read my notes? Because, Sorry. I could talk quieter too. The Lord spoke to Moses <laughs> saying, use my inside voice. The Lord spoke to Moses 
saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. I bet this is probably familiar to a lot of us, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So four little things really quick about this benediction. One, I want you to notice that it's a blessing. You see how three times? It's about blessing the people, about blessing the people. It's more than just saying a good word like, well, I wish you luck. This is releasing power onto us from the Spirit to believe things, for our faith to be increased by truth. So it's, it's a blessing. There's, there's more to this than just somebody saying, have a good day, when you release a blessing. The second thing we notice here is, you notice the word upon? It's upon the people. It's, it's something that happens over the people. So he, he wants uh, his face or his countenance to be upon the people. That's the same word in Hebrew, the, the word face to shine, and the word countenance upon. So it's about his presence that his presence would come upon the people. And then he says that his name would come upon the people, that the people would actually be covered. The the word is for a covering, like a sheet, that the the people would be covered with God's presence, covered with his name, covered with his fame, covered with his glory. The, The third thing to notice is that benedictions, unlike prayers, are directed towards people, right? Prayer is upward to God. A benediction is outward to the people, it's a calling down of something, but you're, you're speaking it over the people as to a prayer that goes right up to God immediately. So they're different that way in how they're directed. And the fourth thing to notice is these are statements that are being made. These aren't requests. It's not, well, he may do it or he may not. It's a no. May God do this. These are statements, pronouncements over the people of God. The benediction has an authoritative pronouncement of God's presence or God's covering and it's meant to build our faith it's made to build our faith in god's character and to build our faith in god's work so maybe this helps you because there will be sundays where we'll pronounce a benediction on you but it really is the idea of a covering so when a benediction goes out it really is it is the the blessing is being poured out and i want you to almost have this image in your head that you should receive it. I'm not going to run around the room and cover everybody with this, but you should receive it as, pretend you are in the chair, as this a covering. It's a covering of God's presence, the covering of God's activity. It's covering God's blessing going out over you. So, so as Tyler Jordan and I stand with our hands raised and you stand with your hands out, you, you want to receive the covering. The covering is coming down of God's, God's blessing, God's promises, something about who God is and what God's going to do for you this week. And it's meant to build your faith to go, yes, that's my God. And yes, my God loves to do that. So it's a reminder of truth in God and what he's doing in our lives. So it's meant to encourage our faith. Now, there's a backstory to this story. So this benediction actually takes place back in the book of Leviticus. So this is why I asked you to bring your Bibles. And if you didn't, that's okay. You can grab one on the end of the row or you can just listen. But the backstory for this benediction is actually in Leviticus chapter 9. So I want to read different parts of of Leviticus 9 to us this morning. In verses 1 through 6, 
Moses tells Aaron to gather up all the animals, the ram, the calf, the goat, the ox, and he gathers them together. And then in verse 7, this is Leviticus 9, verse 7, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them, as the Lord has commanded. So he's telling him to make atonement for the people. And then here's what he does. So Aaron drew near, this is verse 8, so Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering. Now I want you to, you got to get your mind, imagine this playing out. So as I'm reading it, imagine somebody killing a cow. They could walk through it in your head of this process that they walked through. So he offers, he kills a calf of the sin offering, which was for himself, And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him. And he dipped his finger in the blood. And he put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. We're going to verse 12. Then he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood. And he threw it against the sides of the altar. Go down to verse 15. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered the sin offering like the first one. Let me keep reading. And it presented, and he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering and took a handful of it and burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Verse 18. Then he killed the ox and the ram the sacrifice of peace offering for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and they burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord and Moses, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and said, the Lord bless you and keep you. If you were there and Aaron raises his hands to bless you, what would you see? A bloody mess. I mean, he is in the blood. He is covered in blood. Do you see the picture that's being painted? If you are going to be blessed, shed blood blood must happen first. Shed blood precedes blessing. I mean, this is just a beautiful picture of our Savior, is it not? If he is going to bless us, Our Savior bleeds first. We see Aaron with his hands up, covered in blood. I mean, there's blood everywhere. His arms, his hands, his shirt. He is covered in blood. We see our Savior lifted up. He is covered in blood. And yet our Savior blesses us, doesn't he? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'll be with you always to the ends of the age. Forgive them. Forgiveness. Reconciliation with the Father. Think about all the blessings that flow from Christ and every one blood had to be shed before God could pronounce that blessing over us. So this 
benediction here in 1 Thessalonians, I imagine the Jews that heard that benediction, that read what Paul read, they would have imagined, or their mind would have gone to their priest that they may have just gone to, who knows, two weeks, three weeks earlier, who had done the very same thing, slaughtered an animal, covered in blood, raising their hand to bless them. That's the imagery that should come when you receive a blessing. When you receive a benediction from any church, wherever you are, the imagery should be blood is everywhere so that you can receive the blessing that God has for us. And so this benediction is no different. This benediction is anchored really in that reality that now we find in Christ, that his blood was shed so that we could be blessed. And so here, we take a few minutes to talk about the blessings that we see in this benediction and how this benediction builds our faith. How does this benediction build our faith in God? So I got these five little statements I want to give you this morning. Five little statements. I'm not going to tease them out very much. I want you to do that this week on your own. But five little things I see in here about faith. And I don't want to try to even preach them as a benediction to help us receive this the way I think God wants us to receive it, right? This isn't necessarily even a sermon. This is a benediction over you. So let me see if I can benedict this on us as we're looking at it together. So the first is this, church. Have faith. God himself is for you. Have faith. God himself is with you. Seven times in these three verses of benediction, we read God, Father, and Lord Jesus. That's a lot of times. The benediction is God-centered. And it's God-centered to show you that God is at work. And he punctuates this in verse 11 when he says, Now may our God and Father himself. In other words, God himself is going to do something. So, so yes, we want to have other people sitting with us in faith. And we also have a confidence that God himself is working in us and in them in our lives. A confidence that he's at work. He's not just sending his minions to go do his work. He's doing the work. So God himself is there. I don't know if you caught this last week or not, but I didn't get a chance to get to this point. But evidently God wanted us to get to this point, even though I didn't take us to this point, because Maria and Jordan both got to this point at the closing of our gathering last week. Maria got up here, the Spirit put on her a prophetic word, which was basically about the net with the holes, and she shared about how God is the mender of our net, that God is the mender of our tents. And then Jordan's benediction went to Hebrews, on his own went to Hebrews 12, and he said, we are to run looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So I didn't have time to get to it, but God made time for us to get to it. Just to remind us, God's at work in your faith. Do you believe that? God is at work in your faith. He is committed to you growing. Your, your faith is a gift from God. And we read that in Ephesians, right? Chapter 2, where he says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So God gives us faith, and then he comes alongside us to sustain our faith, to help keep our faith. So I just want to encourage you, because you may be thinking, well, how does he do that? Listen, I think we miss it sometimes. Sometimes we just miss it. So I want to encourage you, don't miss or underestimate how much God is at work in your faith, or how often he is at work trying to draw your attention, or how broadly or deeply he is trying to get your faith to grow, because he's doing it. He is at work. And so I pronounce over you this morning, 
May God himself supply everything that is lacking in your faith. May God himself supply what is lacking in your faith. Number two, the second thing, have faith, Christ Church, because God directs community. God directs community. I'm trying to use the language of the verse. He says this in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. There's a sense in which Paul realizes that if I'm going to get to you, God has to make it happen. If we're going to sit in a group of three in community, God is the one that has to direct it and make it happen. The word direct there literally means to remove hindrances. God is at work removing hindrances. I wonder how often we try to come here for a Sunday gathering or to get to our community group or our group of three and we find there's some kind of hindrance there. There's hindrances there. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times where we legitimately, for good reasons, stay home. No judgment, right? No self-righteous judgment on everybody. But God, according to this, is at work removing hindrances so that you can get to the place where you need to have your faith strengthened. He's at work doing that. He's directing that. So that when you get to your group of three, or you get here on a Sunday, and you shut off your car, and you walk in the building, you should be able to look other people in the eye and say, look what God did. He directed my way to you. He removed the hindrances. Now, I want to encourage you this morning, because as I thought about this in my own life, I realized that God removes hindrances, but then often I add some in. (laughs) I add them. He's busy removing them, and then I'm adding them. I'm putting things in my schedule and things in my calendar that are a hindrance to me doing some of the things that I know God wants me to do with others to build my faith. You ever been there? You look at your calendar, you go, well, it's awful full. Well, you put the stuff there, Matt. So just be aware Don't put hindrances in when God's trying to take them out. Don't don't go to battle with God over hindrance removal, okay? Because you need your faith encouraged. And so as God's removing them, you remove them and make the things that are God's priorities your priorities so that your faith can be strengthened. So I pronounce over you this morning, Christ Church, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to one another and remove all the hindrances that could be there so that we can strengthen one another's faith. Third one, have faith. God increases love for one another. Have faith. God increases love for one another. Look at verse 12. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. God is at work in your heart, increasing your love, making your love abound for others that he has put in your life who know and follow Christ. Like, we need this blessing because this is a broad category. He's not talking about just some of the one another's in our lives. (laughs) He's talking about all the one another's in our lives. He's talking about increasing our love for all of the one another's, all the people that God has put in our lives. And I know, and you know, that sometimes it's hard to love some of those one another's, is it not? I mean, some of us are just more lovable than others, aren't we? And so we need God to work. 
And, and, and I want my confidence even in us growing as a church and loving one another more to be anchored in the fact that God is at work doing that in our hearts. He loves to do that. And evidently, in their case, they had love, according to verse 6. The report came to them that it was good, their love for one another. And if you want to turn back a page to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says this about their love. This is 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That tells me that your love for each other can grow and should be growing. So, so here's what I want to warn you about. Be on the lookout for moments when unexpectedly love starts to swell up in your heart for other people. Be on the lookout. God does that. He does that when we're together. He might do that when you're alone, where you find a, a, just an overwhelming sense of love for other people that God has put in your life. Be on the lookout for it. May he do it. Meaning he's gonna do it. Have eyes to see it when he does it. So I pronounce over you this morning, Christ Church, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ make your love increase and abound for one another. Number four, have faith because God increases love for all. Did you catch that little phrase at the end? He adds, and for all. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, for everyone. Everyone you see, everyone you talk to. No one is excluded now. Before he was talking just about other believers, the one another's. Now he's talking about every person you come in contact with. God is on the move to increase your love for them. Do you believe that this morning? I want to increase your faith. God is good. He can do that. The, the most irritating person, the person with the most opposite political views, uh, the person who is driving the car in front of you, the person who has major issues with their sexuality and are struggling, whether they have whatever it is, the, the people that are hardest to love that are in our lives are the people that we find we're most in conflict with. God is saying here that he is at work increasing your love for them. So expect that. Be leaning in that direction, knowing that God wants to increase your love for every person that you come in contact with. And so I pronounce this over you. May God and Jesus Christ make you increase and abound in love for every lost person that you see or interact with. Number five, have faith, God changes hearts. Have faith, God changes hearts. Verse 12 spills into 13 this way. He says, and now, and, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Establish your hearts blameless in holiness. So the, the all there means all. It means no one. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm backing up my notes. My bad. 
the so that there is connecting our love for one another and our holiness. Do you guys catch that? Look what he says. Look at the so that. He says, for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. So there is a connection between your love for others and your holiness. God is working in your heart to accomplish your holiness. He's committed to setting you more and more free from sin. He is committed to conforming you more and more into the image of Christ. And the way he does that is through you loving one another. That's a strange connection in my mind. It's not one I would make naturally. But it's what he's saying. So if you follow the train of thought, if you tease it out, what he's saying is your heart will be more holy and blameless the more that you love others. And the more your love abounds for others, the more your heart will be blameless and holy. That's a strange connection. But he's saying the more you love other people, the more you're going to love the things God loves. The more you love people, the more you're going to be set free from sin and be prioritizing things that God prioritizes. Or we could reverse it. If our love for one another is stagnant, then your holiness will be stagnant. Or maybe if your love for others is decreasing, then our holiness might be also decreasing. They seem to work hand in hand. But this benediction really is telling us to have faith. God is increasing your love so that you will become more blameless. But even if that doesn't work, look at what he says. Not saying it doesn't, but in verse 13 it says, so that he may establish So God is the one who's working in your heart to increase your love. God is trying to establish your heart in holiness. So listen, the point to the benediction really is this, to to build your faith in God's commitment to you growing in holiness, to you changing, to you being more set free from sin, for him to move your faith along on the journey that it's already on. So really, that's God's end goal. He wants to increase your faith. And so this blessing, this benediction is meant to help you see the reality of God and what he's doing in your life so that your faith will grow. And then the end goal of all of this, of all five of these, is so that we are ready, as the benediction ends, for the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So we're preparing for a day. I don't know if you're like me. I exercise towards a goal. I have a, usually have goals in mind. And if I don't have a goal in mind, then I really don't exercise very well. And I think there's something similar going on here. There, there's an end game. There's a goal we have. It's the day that we're going to stand blameless in holiness before Jesus with one another. So we're going to stand together with him, blameless in holiness. And what God is doing is he's trying to make that a reality in our lives now moving us along now, building our faith now. And so the end goal, when will I be done with this journey? (laughs) Well, it's when you see him face to face. And our goal is now to be blameless, our hearts to be blameless, so that we're ready for that day when we will see him face to face. So here it is. We're, We're living with and for Jesus through community, through our faith, while we wait for his return. So how is your faith? How is your faith this morning? 
Is it growing? Does that big holes in it? Are you aware of how your faith is doing? Well, I pray that this benediction is something you can meditate on this week as a way of building your faith, as a way of growing your faith, as a way of even supplying what is lacking in your faith. So I have two application questions for this morning. I want us to take a minute and do a little reflection time. I want you to think about the benediction and the five things and which one you think you could most grow in and which one do you find that maybe your faith is strongest in. But I want to take a few minutes, give you some time, unrushed, unhurried, just to pray and to think about the benediction, read the benediction, and to look to see which one of these makes your heart rejoice the most and which one you think you might most need to grow in. So let me pray to that end and then we'll just take a few minutes to reflect. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you for this benediction. I, I thank you for benedictions, for the pronouncing of truth about who you are and how you work in our lives. I'm thankful that you do that as a way of increasing our faith. And so, Lord, I, I pray for my friends in this room that you would increase their faith. God, may our believing in you be strong. May it be vibrant. And God, I, I pray that you would use the realities of this benediction to build our faith. The reality is that you are with us and you are working, that you're directing our ways to one another, that you're increasing our love for each other, that you're moving us towards holiness more and more each day. And so, Spirit, I just pray for some wonderful faith-building truth that's here in this benediction to pierce our hearts and to encourage us. And even now, as we just take a few minutes to reflect, I pray that your spirit would meet us and speak to us. Show us what our takeaway is. What is our application? What do you want us to see this morning as individuals? Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.